Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Hey guys, good morning. So glad to be with you. Um, Yeah, before I say anything, I think I know what I want to do is just read scripture over us. Um, I think there's a power and a beauty in allowing the Holy Spirit to speak his words and his ministry before I even say anything. So I'm going to read a chunk of Galatians 5 over you. It's not going to be up here. Don't read it along with me. I want you to just close your eyes and receive what the word of God is saying. We get to do this as a community to receive scripture, even in big chunks like this, and listen to the voice of God in the midst of it. So This is Galatians 5, and the text that we're going through today is actually rooted in here. Starting in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality and impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for the gift that it is to sit in a room with family and listen to your word. Thank you that you promise that you will minister to us through this. Would you form and shape our hearts and our minds and our souls right now? Would you make us good soil for what you want to say this morning? We love you so much, Jesus. In your name, amen. Hey, so hard shift, but we're going to talk about circumcision today. (laughs) I was telling Darren this morning, you have no idea what I'm talking about. We're talking about circumcision, so I hope you still trust me and allow me to do this. Um, if you don't know what circumcision is, I'm not going to explain it to you. Um, just don't feel qualified for a number of reasons. Um, I'll let you go home and Google it or not. I'm really glad you guys are laughing. I didn't know how this was going to go over. So we're, we're off on a good, on a good start. Um, 
No, but circumcision really mattered to the people that received this letter from Paul in the first century, the people who lived in Galatia. I want to give you a little bit of background as to what's happening, a little bit of context here. So after God released the Israelites from the enslavement of the Egyptians, story of Exodus, he made a covenant with them as his people. And he made a covenant with them by means of a document that was actually a set of laws that they called the Torah. And these laws covered everything, how to worship, what to eat, what not to eat, how to act on the Sabbath, how to treat the poor. And it also required that all men who fall in the line of Abraham, all men who are Israelites by ethnicity to be circumcised. And there are a couple things that we need to know about the Torah. The first is that the Torah is a means for both holiness and belonging. I made a slide for that, but you know. Yes, cool. It's just cool to see my words up up there. Um, Yeah, holiness and belonging. So the Torah, following and abiding by this set of laws, made the Israelites right in the eyes of the Lord, meaning he would allow his presence to be with them, he would guide them, he would dwell within them as a people, and it also granted belonging in the family of God. So the Torah both was a promise of righteousness and a marker of who you belonged to. This is something we need to hold on to. The other thing I want you to know about the Torah was that it was always intended to be temporary. See, all over the Old Testament, God said in a variety of different ways that someone was going to come and do away with everything that separated us from God and us from each other. A chosen Messiah would come and do away with sin and death forever. So the law wouldn't be needed anymore. We know this Messiah to be Jesus. And what Jesus did was bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under himself. And when Jesus brought unity to all things, he meant all things, not just the Israelites. The freedom that was originally given to the Israelites was now to be shared amongst every single person. This is what his life, death, and resurrection did. Jesus' death on the cross set everyone free, us included. That's why we're here. See, this blows the law out of the water. The law couldn't do what Jesus' death on the cross did. In fact, Paul writes earlier in his letter to the Galatians that the law was their guardian, temporary guardian until Christ came, that they might be justified by faith. And just one verse after that, Paul says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel that Paul brought to the Galatian people. So you can imagine how angry he probably was when he found out that there were Jewish leaders in this community trying to get uh, Gentile followers of Jesus, people who had not been following Jesus, to get circumcised. That's why Paul's writing the letter to address the issue of circumcision. It all comes back to circumcision, like I said. And how many times can I say circumcision in five minutes? <laughs> oh, I love it. 
I want to explain how they got there, though, because this actually is a really big deal. Paul says that they were biting and devouring each other over this issue. So basically, to give you a summary, an agreement was made between the Roman people and the Jewish community. The Romans said, hey, you guys can worship your God. You can worship Yahweh, the one true God, whatever you're saying. If you, sorry, you can abstain from worshiping our gods if you do two things. The first is you have to prove that you are actually Jewish. You have to be abiding by the Torah and prove that you belong to this line of Abraham. And the second thing, you have to worship Yahweh on behalf of us, on behalf of the Romans. See, it was about safety for them because they believed that the gods and goddesses that they were worshiping were granting them safety over their city. It was giving them um, victory in war and, and safety from drought and from famine. So for the Jewish community to withdraw from that wasn't just a cultural taboo. It was actually threatening the safety of, of their entire community. So the Romans said, hey, you guys can do this prove that you're actually Israelites, and worship Yahweh on our behalf. And this worked out for the Jewish people, we think. I mean, they were probably on thin ice, but it worked out for them in the meantime. So we see a problem when we have Gentile people, people who are not following Yahweh, now give their lives to Jesus. No one knew what to do with them. They weren't following the Torah, but now they wanted to claim an exemption from worshiping the pagan gods and goddesses, so no one knew where they fit. This is where things get bad. I could see the Jewish community being like, okay, so last week you were worshiping a pagan god, and then you just said something and got dunked into water, and now you're asking to claim the same things that we have had for hundreds of years. No, you don't belong in this family. You haven't been around and seen all of the things and done all of the things that we've done for hundreds of years. You don't get to just enter in. See, they didn't understand that Jesus' resurrection had ushered in a completely new creation. And this wasn't a creation just marked by the dominant culture of the time. <laughs> Jesus didn't die so that the Jewish people could say, hey, you who used to worship pagans, now you're one of us. That wasn't it. The Jews and the Gentiles had to die to their previous way of life. Everything was wiped clean. This was a completely new thing that no one had seen before. Holiness and belonging could not be dictated by anything other than allegiance to Jesus Christ. This is completely new to them. See, when Jesus said in the Gospels that the kingdom of God was near, he was saying that a new way of operating in this life has come. And the church, then and now, was to be a signpost of that new way of life. And this isn't a way of life marked by animosity and jealousy and biting and devouring one another and lording things like circumcision over one another. It was a way of life to be marked by love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the point of this letter. Paul is reminding them that you are operating in a new authority. So the things that mark your old way of life have to go. He's calling the church to be unified and to be restored to one another. 
And these aren't just lofty ideals on behalf of Paul. It's not just wishful thinking. He gives them practical instructions on how to do it. And that's where we're at today. Let's look at Galatians 6. This is verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there or your phones. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So what are the practices? Paul says, restore one another when you misstep. Two, know that you're not above what your brother and sister is doing, so watch out for temptation. And three, carry one another's burdens. This feels really practical, at least it did to me when I first read it. It feels like an easy checklist of things. Maybe not so easy. An easier checklist of things that you can do with people in your community. But I think what Paul is doing here is so much more beautiful than just giving a list of to-dos. He's saying there are destructive things that you you as a community have participated in. You are destroying one another from the inside out over something like the law. It was separating them from each other. The Jews and the Gentiles were separated. Paul has an antidote for them. And the antidote isn't further isolation. It's not, hey, go home and just pray for them. Just pray that the Holy Spirit changes them. And it wasn't a facade of peace either. It wasn't, hey, just be civil when you see each other. Just smile, shake their hand, you'll be good. It'll blow over. No, the antidote, the thing that he says to them is, I want you guys to become so invested in each other's discipleship that you are physically carrying each other's sins and you are physically carrying the burdens that are weighing your brothers and sisters down. That's what carrying one another's burdens means. They were to become so intertwined with each other that they weren't just worrying about themselves anymore. They were to go after each other's holiness in obedience to the way of Jesus. This was the call for them then, and it's also the call for us now. Um, I don't think I need to state how much biting and devouring is actually happening in the church all over. It's not just about circumcision anymore, though. It's about politics and money and sexuality, and vaccines, and race, and women who preach. Fill in the blank. A lot of you have experienced it. I know I have. And I think Paul's advice for us would be the same. We need to unify around the kingdom of God. And not just that, go after it on behalf of each other by entering into the things that are holding your brother and your sister down. Our discipleship has to involve other people. I didn't understand this for a really long time. I saw my discipleship as just this, this vertical relationship between me and Jesus, me and the Father, me and the Holy Spirit. And those things are all good. (laughs) That needs to be there. But I'm realizing you can't do this without everyone else involved, without the church involved. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. Carrying one another's burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ. 
This is what Paul says in this letter. So what's the law of Christ? Let's look at John chapter 13. You can turn there with me if you would like. It will also come up on the screen behind me. A new command I give you. Love one another. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, his best friends that have done their entire lives with him for years. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must also love one another. So the law of Christ that Paul mentions in Galatians 6, 2, he says, carry one another's burdens for this is fulfilling the law of Christ. The law of Christ is to love one another. So Paul is saying, hey, loving one another looks like carrying one another's burdens. It looks like entering into the pain and sin and shame of our friends in an effort to help them look more like Jesus. That's how you love one another. None of this is done out of a desire to critique, but a desire to see each other be made whole in the name of Jesus. So we cannot confuse entering into our brothers' and sisters' burdens with critique. That's a big point that I want to make. Critique comes from an uninvolved bystander in your life, someone who's standing on the peripherals and speaks in to what you're doing. But restoration, what we're really going after here, what Paul is going after, that comes from an active participant in your life. A critic is not invested in doing the process with you. But your covenantal community is. They have skin in the game. Ideally, they're looking out more for your holiness and obedience maybe than you are. They have their eyes out and they are here to come under and lift you into wholeness. We need to know the difference because I think we get it mixed up a lot. I have. We cannot confuse speaking the truth in love with people with calling out all the bad stuff that our friends do. This has to be an act of love and compassion. And this is where I want to shift gears a little bit. I wrote this sermon last week. Felt really good about it. I was like, this is so good. (laughs) And then this weekend, I was driving home Friday night, and I felt the Holy Spirit bringing this story up. And all of these thoughts came pouring out. And I felt like he was like, hey, actually... As much as you can give people really practical ways to carry each other's burdens and enter into their sin and get into all the nitty gritty of how to do that externally and enter in, I felt like he was like, no, actually, I think what your community needs to hear from me is how to allow other people into their own stuff. I think maybe that's more of what I want to press into because that's much harder And it's much more vulnerable. It's not sexy. It's not pretty. It's really awkward. Um, It's painful. It feels unnatural, at least for me. So I want to share this story that the Lord brought to me the other night. Um, About a year ago, I was really struggling with anxiety. It was just kind of the darkest point of COVID for me. And yeah, I had just kind of worked myself into a pit and um, felt weighed down by the weight of fear and worry. And yeah, it was just in a rough place. And I don't remember all that I was feeling, everything that led up to it, but the Holy Spirit prompted me, and I think my husband, Michael, kind of forced me um, to reach out to my best friend. 
I don't mean to say forced. It was a really kind <laughs> suggestion. Um, yeah, but he said, I think you should reach out to your best friend. I think you should invite her into this, which terrified me. Um, so I sent her a voice memo, explained a little bit, and just said, can you pray for me? Just like kind of stayed on the surface, but like asked for prayer. We all do it. <laughs> and she was like, yes. Of course, and better yet, why don't you come over tomorrow? We'll sit on our porch, I'll make you some snacks and a drink, and I just want to hear you. I want to make space for you to just talk and share what you're feeling, and that hadn't really happened to me yet, I don't think, at that point. So the next 24 hours, I tried so hard to get out of it, <laughs> tried to re or reschedule. Once I got there, I was doing my like crack the joke thing to like kind of make it seem like you're over it, make it seem like everything's been smoothed over. It didn't work. She said, hey, what are you carrying? What are you experiencing? Tell me. No filter, just share. And what I want to say is nothing happened. <laughs> I still had anxiety. I went home and still struggled. I felt embarrassed. I felt like I had dumped on her. I felt like I had crossed a line, that I had shared too much, and there was no way that she could love all of this stuff that I just dumped out. But what I think happened in that moment, actually, as I'm looking back and what I felt the Spirit reminded me of this weekend is that the moment I let her in, the enemy lost power over my mind. <laughs> so the power that he had put like from isolation and from shame and had kept me bogged down, that was broken just by simply inviting someone into it. See, when we invite other people into our pain, it thwarts the mission of the enemy. This is powerful. And I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know that there's not just like a simple formula on how to do this, it's just obedience. It's just trusting that God gave us to each other to be gifts to each other and trusting that he delights in our vulnerability with each other and being obedient to that. Can I tell another story? Okay. I, don't, I haven't been timing myself. I don't know where we're at. Last summer, I went on a road trip. My husband and I did with some of our best friends. They moved from here, Long Beach, to Lexington, Kentucky, which I had never even heard of before. Um, it was a 32-hour drive and was just, yeah, a massive thing. And that time in my life, I was just wrestling with so much insecurity and bitterness, and I'd kind of worked myself into, you guys are getting all of my stuff today, like just <laughs> anxiety, it's fine. We can talk about it after. Um, I had worked myself into a place of really being a slave to other people's affirmation and attention. I was comparing myself to my friends, my best friends, and it was weighing me down. It was truly bringing me death. And I let my friend that was going on this trip with us in on that before we left. And I will never forget driving on this 32-hour road trip, we're in the middle of nowhere in Utah or something. It's pitch black. It's 1 a.m. And she just said, hey, how's that thing going? That thing we talked about. And I was going on and on about how upset I was and telling her what a burden it was because this one person's thoughts and affirmation and attention, I just, I, it was weighing me down and was crying. And she paused and responded so gently and compassionately and said, hey, 
I think you've made this person an idol in your life for a really long time. And I love you so much and I want you to be free from that. That's all she said. And it was like one of those moments where just like one single tear <laughs> ran down my face. And not because I was embarrassed. I didn't feel called out. I didn't feel misunderstood by her. I felt so loved. She took a major risk in correcting me in my sin, in my idolization, and it shaped me. She moved from being an uninvolved bystander in my life to an active participant in my holiness. And I felt that. It was holy. I felt that in that moment. I felt the presence of God. Even though the words she was saying didn't feel good, didn't feel good to hear that, I felt his presence and his gentleness and his compassion in the midst of it. See, this is a holy invitation that we get to enter into. Whether we're the one carrying someone's burdens or someone is carrying ours. See, when we step into shouldering the load of sin and death, we are preparing our friends to stand in front of Jesus in the age to come. And as we end, I want to just think about this because I don't think we think about it enough. Like one day we're going to stand in front of Jesus. And I know he's going to look at me and he's going to say, I'm so delighted in you. I love you. I see that you moved from idolization into pure worship of who I am. And I am so delighted in you. Well done. And I know it's not going to be my own effort that got me there. It's going to be the compassion of my community and my friends that brought me to that place. When we step into carrying one another's burdens, we are preparing the bride of Christ for her wedding day. This is holy. This is a group effort. When I got married, I had probably too many bridesmaids. <laughs> there were a lot of us. Um, and I remember getting ready. <laughs> I'm dying that you guys are laughing. I had a lot of bridesmaids. <laughs> you know, you have to pick all of your friends. Like, it's the thing. Um, and I, yeah, getting ready for actually walking down the aisle. I remember being in this hotel room, and I had one friend zipping up my dress and one was on her hands and knees buckling my shoes and my mom was fitting my veil. It was a group effort. They were preparing me for what was to come later in that day. I could not have done it by myself. I needed other people to prepare me for what was to come. Dallas Willard says that we are becoming who we will be forever. It's crazy. I don't think about that enough. We are becoming now who we are going to be in the age to come. We're not blasting off into heaven to be someone else. Heaven is coming here. So the things that we do now matter. The way that our community comes around us and makes us look more like Jesus matters. That's going to last. That's going to stick with us. This becoming isn't done out of our own effort. We get there together through the power of the Holy Spirit. So my invitation to you as we wrap up church is to identify the people who are your covenantal community, 
whether it's your house church or your digital community or your closest friends who are following Jesus and are like-minded and going after the kingdom of God together. And practice confession and repentance and vulnerability and accountability with them. Allow yourself to be seen by people and ask the spirit how to see other people in the midst of their pain. I'm inviting you to enter into the joyful task of making each other look more like Jesus, to look more beautiful, more human, and more fully who God intended us to be. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.